What up, peeps? Welcome into Unscripted and Unprepared, brought to you by Real Screen Magazine. I'm Jimmy Fox, and this episode is my sit-down with Brent Montgomery, CEO of the newly launched Wheelhouse Entertainment. Now, I didn't really know Brent all that well before we sat down for the interview. We just kind of knew each other casually. We went through the whole career path, him starting out at Texas A&M and never being invited back. You'll find out why. Him cutting his teeth, working on The Bachelor and everything he learned from that machine of a show. And then the fateful story of how Pawn Stars was developed and how that show would spearhead the launch of a, let's just call it what it was, kind of a mini empire. Left Field Entertainment would grow and grow. And eventually, within a year's time after receiving $40 million of backing, Brent would flip Left Field Entertainment to ITV, where he would get a substantial payout. I'm not going to say how much. That's a little grotesque, but you can Google it. He did pretty well for himself. And then he goes on to become the CEO of all of ITV America, the studio behind Kurai and The Four. And then he recently starts Wheelhouse Entertainment. What is it? What are the plans? What is he going to do next? Is it true he's really going to build a social club like the Soho House? You're about to find out. This is my sit down with Brett Montgomery. I hope you enjoy it. Now, you know, you being spotted in the all three offices right now, we could start some fantastic rumors, right? Right this moment, Brent, it can catch wildfire. When you were walking in here, were you catching any looks from people? No, it's funny. Uh, I'm sure these offices are like all the offices I've ever been in. Ninety eight percent don't know any of the people, you know, who are on the front lines buying and selling TV. Um, I I, I think uh, I was treated uh, very nicely, but it seems like I think everybody walking through that door. Uh, seems to be treated nicely, and I'm just excited to be here. You know, uh, probably never win an Emmy, certainly won't win an Oscar, so this is the third leg of the Triple Crown, so you're, it's good to be here. You're, you're too kind. I just want to jump in because I'm catching you at a, an amazing time in your career. You just left ITV. I'm hearing rumors about, you know, what Wheelhouse is. Is Wheelhouse a production company? Is Wheelhouse, like, the next Soho House? I, I'm, I'm, I'm at real screen, and people are like, yeah, you know, Brent Montgomery's starting, like, a club. And I'm like, what do you mean he's starting a club? Like, oh, no, he showed me pictures. There's, like, carpentry being done and floors being <laughs> built and walls going in. What the hell are you up to next? You know, I, I, I've started to put together a venture team that, you know, these people come from uh, different hallways than you and I do. They, they mm-hmm. come from the world of finance and Wall Street. And, uh, you know, my, my job now is to pick out the ones who I think are, uh, you know, great. And, and building a great team is always important. But I'm also looking to pick out the people who I think can interface with the creatives and come into mm-hmm. a room and can learn from each other. You know, we, we talk a lot at Wheelhouse and previously at ITV and Leftfield about connective tissue and the respect that you need to have for the other parts of the process. You know, and I've always respected production management, business affairs, human resources, casting, um, all these things that aren't necessarily uh, represented, you know, at, at TV markets and on screen and, and in all the sexy parts of the places we play. So mm-hmm. going to build that venture team that will interface with the TV uh, side is extremely important. And one way, and this gets back to answer your question, uh, one way that we think that we can bring these two worlds together is by having um, a venue and uh, a place for them to actually interact in a in a social environment. You know, I'm really big on work hard, play hard, and uh, you know, I, I think that to have a place where 
we can take meetings, whether it be a TV meeting, straight mm-hmm. TV meeting or straight venture meeting, but then to actually uh, bring those people together in a really cool setting um, is, is something that we haven't really seen out there. Uh, it certainly takes a lot of capital, uh, as I'm finding out, to, to build these things. And I'll probably, uh, once I get my story straight, go out and raise money around them. But I think, you know, I, I've certainly enjoyed my tenure uh, at the Soho House. I think a lot of us go there to see a friend or to have a drink. You can't even get a seat anymore. It's, it is hard to get a seat. And, um, you know, look, they're part of a big uh, a big entity now that has pressure on them just like large production companies do. So. Um, what I don't see happening at the Soho House, which is where we'll try to kind of be different, complementary, because that is uh, something that you know I have great respect for what they have built over the years. Uh, what we'll try to do differently is bring and curate uh, different people together. Mm. And actually, if you're coming to our to our little club, uh, you'll be coming to a place where uh, you know I want to introduce you to four or five different people that you wouldn't meet normally. Mm. You know, that come from different worlds, and almost sort of put softly put some deals, some interesting things together. And at worst, worst case scenario, we're just in, introducing good people to good people. Genius. It's <laughs> genius. You're, you're building a social hub, but also a work hub. That's and right. if you invest in the talent, this becomes like the home base for the talent mm-hmm. to do stuff. Like don't just come into a four wall office, come over here to, here to wheelhouse where you use this as your virtual office, but it's also your social club. And it's also where the, the hub that backs you is based. Yeah. And so much of what, you know, I'm learning. We hired a great woman uh, named Kristen Welton, who uh, ironically is married to uh, an executive that most of us know um, named Russ McCarroll. Um, sure. You know, people talk about the better half. I mean, this is the extremely better half uh, who we got. <laughs> um, now, but Kristen comes from a long line of uh, marketing uh, and um, retail and uh, most recently at Nylon. So she knows print mm. digital um, as well. And, you know, I don't know the first thing about running one of these clubs. And Yeah, I was going to say, did you ever own or invest in a bar, uh, lemonade stand, un- anything? Unfortunately, yes to both of those. Um, uh, I think the, lim- the, the lemonade stand returned more capital. Um, <laughs> no, I think we, we – this went initially as something that we were just thinking this would be a, a great place to, to right. hold our meetings, you know, um, to wait a second. Everybody who we brought in, like we brought in some really cool designers. We brought in um, – and, and actually, I invested in the company that's doing the interior design. But we brought in um, uh, celebrities. We brought in uh, all kinds of people to look at it during the process to give us their ideas. And what we're building uh, in West Hollywood is very different than what was my initial idea. It's be- and it's much better. Where's um, the location? It's uh, it's over just south of. I'm so bad with north south in uh, Los Angeles. How long have you been in L.A.? <laughs> That's the first thing you learn when you get here. You just need to know your directions. I think San Francisco's north, L.A.'s south. That is true. Uh, and then San Diego's half in Mexico. Uh, no, it, it's it's near um, Hugo's. That's all I know. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's not. It's near like the Pally House area or Barney's Beanery. That Hugo's. Yes. Yes. On Santa Monica Boulevard? On Santa Monica Boulevard. I'm with you. All right. I'm with you. Don't make me, don't make me look geographic. Wait, is it right there across the street, like adjacent? <laughs> it's close by. Because there's a building by. right next door that's kind of like an art, an art building or something like that or something to that effect. No, I, that's not it. We probably should have got that one. Anyway, okay, so it's near. It's it's in West Hollywood, near Barney's Beanery, where every assistant that comes to L.A. <laughs> first starts out drinking. I've had many a night at Barney's Beanery and many a failed attempt at karaoke night. Um, okay, let's just back up. This is exciting for me to have you on because – we know each other, but we don't know each other well. 
Yeah. I don't know where you grew up. I really don't know what your road was to getting to what left field became. And I can't wait to talk to you about how you were able to flip left field entertainment into running ITV and so on and so forth. But where, where did you grow up? So I grew up, I, w- I was a military brat, so I jumped around a bit, but I spent the vast majority of my uh, uh, formative years um, in Texas. And I always think of myself first as a Texan. Um, I grew up in San Antonio specifically. Okay. And then, uh, Ended up, I think I went to five colleges uh, in the state of Texas. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. I, I was not um, a focused collegiate student. Um, no, I, I really struggled with hearing that I had to go work somewhere for 25 years and then maybe get a pension. So uh, I, also, I just had no idea what I wanted to do. I was very good for a period of time in math and very poor in science, which is not the normal um, way people's brains are wired. Uh, but I, I I did like being entrepreneurial. I mean, to go back even before that, my I, I had um, a baseball cart business. Was I had a lawn mowing business and a baseball cart business. And okay, so you were always making cash. Yeah, I my we did not have a bunch of money. Um, my you know we were moving around and just by sheer bad luck, every time we would move, uh, the real estate market would like hmm. take a uh, take a turn. And so. You know, I saw my father and my mother, but I saw my father working two or three jobs hmm. for my entire childhood. And uh, my dad was, a, you know, had a Ph.D., was an environmental engineer, um, hmm. uh, still is a great man. But he would take any job he had to to, to pay the bills. And so from an early age, um, I didn't have much. And so Got it. to get stuff, um, I had to go work for it. I, I love to uh, bust my dad's balls about the fact that, you know, there was a period where Coke T-shirts were all the rage. I don't know if this was just a Texas thing. But, I uh, think it was. I begged. I'm sure it was. <laughs> a Coke T-shirt? A Coke T-shirt and nothing but boots. No. Uh, we Coke, – Coke products were – this had to be, I don't know, the mid-'80s. Um, and I begged to get a Coke shirt or sweatshirt, and my dad was so proud. I opened it up at Christmas, and it was Pepsi. And I couldn't believe that they even made Pepsi. Um, yeah, that was kind of the story of my. Wait, was it not a, that my fashions and was it a rib on you grew. intentionally, or did they just mess it up? No, that was. I'm sure he went to the stand. And it was a third of the price, um, and uh, and that's what I got. You know what? I have my T-shirt story. <laughs> All I wanted for my eighth birthday. Um, so this would be um, 1989. Yep. We're on a summer family trip. Uh, it was a great summer for movies, too, by the way, that summer. I think that was Indiana Jones' Last Crusade, uh, UHF, which is one of my favorite. I'm a, I'm a bit weird <laughs> owl guy. Uh, not so surprising. Um, but Batman was really big at the time. It was, it was Michael a, Keaton? Yeah, Michael Keaton, Batman. And all I wanted was the Batman T-shirt that every kid had. And it was just the logo. Yeah, it was just, it was just yeah. the symbol, like the bat, the bat signal. And my mom, I grew up in a very Christian very Christian home. As My mom thought the Batman shirt or logo and the lore was, was like evil or, you know, whatever, demonic in some way and wouldn't get me a Batman t-shirt. And I never got it. Couldn't get it. Wow. But you know I, what? I'm going to get you, you can Batman buy a, t-shirt. You, you can buy a lot of shirts now, <laughs> Brett Montgomery. Um, all right. So you went to college. Where'd you finish college? Let's go there. So, so I, uh, I actually got kicked out of Texas A&M. Um, my, had to be my sophomore year. And it just was for grades or behavioral for grades, issues for grades. Okay. Um, it was too big of a school to, for my behavioral issues to be caught by how, um, how, wait, how bad are we talking like Blukowski from, uh, you know, I, I was from really, animal house here. Are you a 0.0, 0 guy? No, or? no, I was, a, I, I think it was 1.2 or 1.3. Um, oh, geez. I went from a small school, small high school, small college into 500 people classes. I just didn't go to school. I didn't go to class. I met some buddies that I liked. I, I just, uh, 
Uh, I just had fun, yet law, I didn't have really a mission. And, I mean, I, I had great grades when focused um, or, or fine grades. But, uh, but were you one of those guys that said, I don't need to go to school because I already know what I'm going to do when I get out of here? And this, no, this and school- not at that point. Later, later. Okay. When I give you my final GPA, you'll be like, wow, you never really focused. Um, <laughs> no, at, at that point, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was studying. I was, I was taking accounting. I was taking some business stuff. Um, I liked history a lot. I liked uh, – uh, you know, classes that uh, that weren't really um, – they were probably uh, – I like the ologies. I was more into the ologies okay. um, than, than most of the other ones. So that was a wake-up moment. Like I, I – you know, I coasted by in high school pretty easily, and uh, college is a different story. And uh, and so I had to go back home, and I uh, pulled one of my better moves off. I went and checked the mail every day. And then I, you know, I got the letter that said I was on uh, suspension or whatever they called it before my parents did. I convinced my parents that I missed them, that I wanted to be home to them. I started dating some random girl just to say that I was there to be with her. Um, and I pulled it off. Like uh, up until a couple of years ago when I came clean, they thought that I spent that summer there or, or that semester. They rather. never knew you got suspended. No. Which um, – all the things that get you into trouble uh, when you're young translate into you know crafty business skills later, I guess. But the the s- semester I spent there changed my life because um, my dad said, "Why don't you Why don't you intern at uh, the local NBC affiliate?" And I thought, like I'm sure, like you thought, like a TV job. Wow, you know, there's, there's, that's impossible. I, I interned at my local NBC affiliate in, in North, Did, Northern California. Uh, yeah, where uh, Salinas. So okay. so technically Central California. Okay. Salinas uh, was the flagship station, so it was K- KSBW eight. Yeah. Uh, how how awesome is that experience, though? It's the best. It's the best. I. But, but you see a little bit of the ghost of Christmas future there. Like you see those people that have been only there like their entire careers and all they know is that one small market station. So it both like inspires you to want to work in TV, but also not to want to stay there the rest of your life. Well, you that's, just, that was my experience. I, I, no, no, it was my exact experience. And you nailed it. I never thought about a ghost of future. That's so I, I, I start working at uh, a local NBC affiliate, at, which is in San Antonio, which, um, it's a good uh, market, good market. My job is to go every day or not every day, but every other day to cover and sit mid court at the San Antonio Spurs games, uh, go cover the Cowboys in training camp, go cover the Houston Oilers in training camp. And I didn't care that I wasn't making any money. It was the best, it was the best job in the I world. Mean, that's, that's what Sean Elliott, David Robinson yeah, yeah, era yeah, Spurs, yeah. Avery Johnson, Avery Johnson. Sure. Um, Doc Rivers. So, so at that point, uh, I realize uh, now I have a mission in life and it's to be a sportscaster. Um, and so I said to a lot of the guys, like, how do you become a sportscaster? And they're like, we have to learn how to shoot and edit. So I then go back. I get back into A&M, go back there. I start working. And those guys hook me up with um, an internship there. So I'm still unpaid. Uh, I finally get the offer to work overnights, um, which, which was during school. So uh, I, worked, wow. I worked 50 hours a week and went and took 16 hours. Um, my grades came up a little bit, uh, but not a whole lot. But, but just I, enough so you wouldn't get suspended. That's right. Because you'd been through that already. Yeah. So I – But when I, you say overnights, overnights what at a local news station? So I was the overnight photographer. Okay. And what that meant was well, two great things. Um, well, one great thing. I got a car uh, that, that I didn't have to pay for gas. So uh, I was able to the sta- keep, the keep station the station car? vehicle, which okay. was great for taking to parties. Totally. Because um, it was all marked out. <laughs> And, uh, and it certainly wasn't supposed to take it to parties. Uh, I'll never forget my boss came in and said he opened the glove compartment. There were 43 parking tickets in the car. Um, 
So, so at this point, I'm working uh, overnights, uh, not enjoying college, um, which would then kind of fall into my 20s. Uh, but uh, I get my grades back up. Uh, and it, I, I graduated with a, a, an incredible 2.3. Um, okay. I've been asked to come to Texas, University of Texas, to speak several times. I've never been asked to come back to a and um, <laughs> but, but at that point, uh, you know, I graduate. I know that uh, during, during the period where, while I was in school and I worked, I, I worked at that station for about two and a half years and did everything, I, I really realized that I loved uh, the shooting and the editing mm. and, and mostly the producing. Mm. Um, and, and I also heard to your point earlier, like, I was going to make thirteen or fourteen thousand dollars a year to yeah. go work in Podunk, um, you know, uh, North Dakota. Yep. Um, to be a sportscaster, and and frankly, I wasn't all that great at. Did it. you I, ever cut a reel? I, I I was on camera doing uh like local news and sports. Yeah, like like yeah. mock yeah. mock stand up. No, these were like I did on the same. Air. Brent, was, I, Brent, we had the same bad. existence in, <laughs> in college. I thought I was going to be a sports reporter, and I cut a reel, and they let me cut it at the station I interned at. So I did these like mock reports in the field and i had a college show so i used those for like the the anchor desk stuff and i sent out my tape vhs tapes and i got a call from lawton oklahoma that was the one call i ever got and i and i found myself on the call bombing the call on purpose because i realized i don't really want to do this you would have been good at it i think but to your point like that was um that was a very different lifestyle you know i'd moved around a lot as a kid and i wasn't really interested in jumping around that much and uh i'd spent probably more time in la but really liked my visits to new york and i Mm. thought all right here's here's the here's the way to go let's go up to new york convince my buddy we drive up there and i mean you talk about a culture shock going from college station texas to brooklyn uh it was um it was (laughs) and that's not and that's not 2018 brooklyn kids no 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 this was uh this isn't hipsters (laughs) and people with chickens in their home in brooklyn making their own mustard in our building there were two uh, drug dealers, a bookie, a former prostitute, and we weren't in that big of a building. Yeah. Um, it was, it was, it, I grew up real quick in New yeah. York. So I read that the first show you sold was the principal's office. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. The, now you had, you'd done some freelance stints before that on the bachelor and some other jobs. Yeah. I'd worked for almost every New York production company. Okay. Um, I had, uh, uh, Worked on The Bachelor, Wife Swap, Blind Date. In post? No, field. Mostly field. field. Po- in post. So when they would yeah. come out to shoot something in New York, you would, you would get crewed up on set? Yeah, like uh, – You were like a local hire kind of guy? My first producing gig, I guess, was Blind Date for, for Renegade 83 in L.A. Okay. Um, I had to come out, uh, which was great. Uh, it was a nice way to introduce myself to L.A. because that show you were in a different town every night. I mean, right. everywhere from Riverside to Laguna to <laughs> – Malibu. Um, and so I did learn some of the geography. Uh, and then after that, I actually went back and they, they moved Blind Date to New York um, and did that. Then The Bachelor came into town, um, got to interview with Fleiss, Lisa Levinson. And, uh, and, and how worked. was that interview? It was it was in a dark room, very dark room, the darkest room. How old are you? How do you? I've got to be at that time um, probably around 30 or so. Okay, and every every producer in town wants to work on uh, a big broadcast show because New York doesn't get that many. And how far into the run is Bachelor? Is it already a phenomenon? Season seven. Oh, so, so it's, it's a huge, it's a huge show. phenomenon. Okay. Um, and I remember Fleiss and Lisa telling me this this is the this is the season where it's going to make or break the show. We think mm-hmm. you know ABC's leaning on us, and we think this could be it. So we're going to throw everything out the door and just try all these new things. Um, 
I was on a panel with Fleiss once where uh, he forgot I was on that season. He's like, oh, yeah, that season was probably the worst season. I'm like, all right, well, glad I didn't kill the franchise. Uh, no, I learned more on that show in that 40 days than I, than I learned on every other show combined before mm-hmm. that. So I, I really had this really unique sort of experience of being on Blind Date where you had six hours to tell the beginning, middle, and end to a story mm-hmm. with two individuals who didn't really want to comply with that 90% of the time. Um, because they were drunk by the end of the by the end of the shoot, so you really learned how to kind of. Uh, what? Wait, well, hold on. Alcohol and reality <laughs> TV, Brent. That never happens. I know, I know. I feel like only John Murray gets to use it these days. No, um, yeah. So then we go to The Bachelor, where uh, it's you know on blind date, it's me and like three crew members to The Bachelor, where you're one of hundreds of people. It's an army. It's an army, and you get to see like you know true professionals make. You know, an incredible show. And you don't have to give up all the secrets, but just give me one. Just give me one thing from The Bachelor <laughs> that you guys would use to get some tears. Just give me one tactic that is like something that is passed down from generations of producer to producer on that show. Give me some inside tactic that is used to draw reaction from a cast member. You know, um, those guys have more tricks in their toolbox than I. Uh, That's what I'm saying. I, yeah. I, one that I don't think they taught me, but that I know. And I don't, you know, uh, yes, I could tell you a bunch of funny stories about that. But uh, <laughs> one that I incorporated that I think they probably knew long before I did was just silence. I mean, if you mm. look, uh, if you just remain silent, people can't, ha- like the, the, those women in that position who have just been kicked off. Um, usually can't handle the silence and end up crying. I mean, I did find that process to be very difficult of all the shows I've ever made because I'm used to shows where people signed up, they're actor, they're wannabe actors, right, on all these dating shows. On The Bachelor, they do such a great job, uh, and, and obviously they have a bigger budget, but of finding women who actually believe they're going to find love on that show. Mm-hmm. When I came in and found that out, that those, these women actually believe that Charlie O'Connell might be <laughs> the man of their dreams – um, I was I, I was shocked. See you. And so it, I felt, you know, I felt for these women when it didn't happen. I mean, I felt like the audience. So because my next question was going to be, it's all BS, right? Like these people don't really fall in love with the guy. They just get competitive with each other and they're in close quarters and they convince themselves they're in love with the guy. I think I think it's all of the above. Okay. I think um, and, and I think a lot of it has to do with who The Bachelor is. You know, if he's... Does uh, it? I mean, that, that show has carried I think, on. I think that's the first You could part. put a like, cardboard stand-up. <laughs> These women are going to claw each other all over well, for I, it. I think that is absolutely true. I think there were probably a third of the women that I came across mm-hmm. who um, liked liked him for him. Mm-hmm. I barely get that out. Uh, <laughs> and then another third who uh, kind of were just there to probably find fame. And then another right. third who... They were going to be damned if they were going to be beat out by some girl down the hall. Right. Um, okay. Wait. We got to move along because yeah, we're, yeah. we're, we're in deep and I haven't even got to the good stuff yet. So <laughs> uh, principal's office. That's the first show you sell? Yeah. About the same time we showed, sold the principal's office and another show called Bridal Boot Camp, which never ended up – or sorry, ended up airing years later. But principal's office was an important show for me. Uh, it, it honed in on the one place I spent most of my high school uh, time and – it, we took a lot of the format beats from that to foreshadow uh, a little bit, like, and applied it to Pawn Stars. Really? Yeah. And what year is this that you sell Principal's Office? It's 08. It's 08. 08. How, and you started the company, you said in 02? Yeah. So I always joke that we came out of the gate really hot from 02 to 08. We sold zero shows. Um, we did. 
we did a couple uh, web series. We we I, I freelanced. Like right. I was when I joke that I don't really I didn't enjoy my twenties. I'm not being facetious. I worked uh, freelance by day, and then we come in on nights and weekends and start. We did equipment rentals. I mean, our big you know calling in the beginning of the company was what, shooting weddings, um, bar mitzvahs. Uh, I didn't even know what a bar mitzvah really? was when I moved. The to early days of left field. Yeah, was shooting weddings, yeah. renting PD 150s, shooting weddings. Um, uh, anything and everything that could make a dollar. It was a long six, six years. Six years. If you look, like, I, for years I would get my social security statement. It would say the number, the, the amount of money I made. Because I was like, well, I'm not going to be a local newscaster. They don't make any money. And it was nine grand. <laughs> nine grand one year, 14 grand. I think we got up into the 20s one year, which was exciting. Um, and then, yeah, so 08 is when we sold our first couple shows. And what network was that to? So it was to Marissa Ronka at True. Um, That's what principal's office was? Yeah, I think the most amazing thing about this business is that Marissa Ronka is still at True. And I mean that. That is a, incredible, by the way. I mean, it's a compliment. In our business? Yeah, I just. Is I just, she the longest tenured person you can think of <laughs> off the top of your head? She'll hate us for saying that because then people are going to want to check her age. But uh, she's got to be in her 60s, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is the I mean. I can't think of uh, I can't think of anybody offhand who's been somewhere longer than no. Marissa. I'm really having trouble thinking. And she's enjoying well, herself. She Rob, actually Rob likes Mill, her job. Rob Mills at ABC. Yeah, Rob Mills. Yeah, he's got to be in the '70s. You're probably right. It's been like yeah, ABC's yeah. been around longer, so you're probably right. That's Rob. a good point. That's a good point. Um, principal's office goes to True. Uh, you learn a lot of the format and beats you're going to use later for Pawn Stars. So let's just go there. Yeah. So uh, the, the lore is you are in Vegas on a bachelor party. <laughs> is that the real story? Or is that just something that's really great for panels? It, it's 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 both. Um, <laughs> I you I'm sure it's the same with you. I've never had uh, a TV show idea behind my desk, right? Most my my of, my uh, my yeah, my, old, my old boss Ben had a great line about that as well in a similar way. He's he always said, "Baby, if I'm if I'm behind my desk, I'm not selling shows." So he was always like, "I don't care how much time you spend in the office." It's just about the points on the board. Listen, Ben sold more shows from a masseuse table than <laughs> from, the rest of us will from, sell in our lives. From the whole, whole 15 at, yeah. at Hillcrest Country Club. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, no, no. So uh, – Pawn Stars, you're in Vegas. Yeah, we were really – You're going there. to a Bible study. <laughs> you're, you're, you're going to a NASCAR event. No shenanigans. Yeah, no. we were Totally you know, sober. I was there shopping for uh, my fiance. Um, <laughs> we were there on a, at a bachelor party, and uh, I did something very clever. I hired uh, a PA, a local PA, to be our chaperone, um, and to, to go get Advil for us in the mornings. And um, you just hired a local sandwiches. a PA oh, yeah. in quotes to just kind of be like a runner for you guys. Yeah, this was genius. One of my older oldest moves. Um, it was a genius. Yeah, it. it everybody's like, really? We're going to pay somebody one hundred twenty-five dollars a day? And I'm like. Trust me. And then afterwards, they're like, "Why can we bring him back home?" So, and that PA became Elliot Goldberg. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, uh, that would have been a great connection, though. Yeah, it would have been. Um, that PA was Ryan Seacrest. Please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, we came up with. We were literally driving down the street, and I'm like, "We." I looked at a buddy. I'm like, "We have to come up with an idea." And and, and he said, "What about a wedding chapel?" And I said, "What about a pawn shop?" Um, ironically, we sold both. We sold a. Uh, uh, a wedding chapel show to TLC, and then um, we came back. So there was no like we drove into the. I walked into pawn shop and met the guys. We go back to New York. I say to my um, uh, development person at the time, uh, who would later become my sister in law, um, because I think my huh. entire wife's family has worked at our offices at one time or another. That's not odd. No, not at all. Um, what's up, Oliver Bogner? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. So uh, at this point. 
I say to the, this woman, Meredith, like, find me the best family-owned pawn shop in Las Vegas because we all know that, like, families come with, you know, good entertainment value. And I thought she'd come back with 30 or 40. She came back in my office. She's like, there's two. There's a Greek mother-daughter. They seem lovely, but I can't really understand what they're saying. And then she's like, and then I've got the guys. And she, this woman, Meredith, is very confident. And so I'm like, all right, let me see him. She shows me, and, I, and she'll say it. She'll always bust my balls about this, but I said, um, yeah, I don't know these these fat guys. Uh, <laughs> and well, Rick, I mean, no, Rick is not like, and especially in that, like maybe first time ever on camera. I don't know Rick's backstory, but Rick is not Mister Charisma. I'm sure the first no, time you meet the, him, these guys. He's, he was a gruff dude that ran a pawn shop. Yeah, and, 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 and grew into that character, right? Yeah, they were. Um, when we went out and shot the sizzle, um, they were nervous as hell. Right, and the stuff he had shot previously, um, which I've seen all of it now, he was nervous as hell. And I think um, what he had, which I'd, I've never come across in my life, is uh, a way to tell history in a pithy and short and fun way. And at first you're like, does he really know this stuff? And then you learn about his background and you, you start and you just hear and you fact check him and mm. it actually comes back. Um, as so he fact. knew his shit on he a history. He always shit. knew the history stuff. He always knew it. His, his and, and he and I are extremely close now. I couldn't have been more wrong about like, you know, are these guys the right guys or not in the beginning? They, you know, when people ask what's one of the, you know, what are the main tenets of the success of the series? I'm like, we've got talent, most of the talent who show up every day and work hard. Mm-hmm. And right. it all starts there. Like, right. You know, like we, we've all had the other kind of talent. And it doesn't matter if you have Mark Burnett and, uh, you know, the, the world's greatest uh, uh, co-host. If that main talent's not there, then it's not going to be a good show. Mm-hmm. So those guys, I give all the credit in the world. And, uh, and really, we walked away with um, something on we, – we didn't take what we heard. We had heard that pawn shops were too dodgy to make uh, a TV show about. We we took that and we applied it and we shot it in a way that was less dodgy than it really was. Totally, you made it a family. You made it a family business show. Yeah, and it happened to be at a pawn shop. And I, when I say we, I, I, I speak in the in the we, including history, because when I walked into history, um, it was not the polished uh, sort of world that that ended up making it on the first episode. We got it, you know, we got it to the fifty yard line, and they came up with really good ideas as to how to like take it, the, you know, take it and brand it. Because walking into the History Channel, I thought. You know, Hitler's their biggest star. Uh, you know, right. this is not the right show. But then they were like, look, we're looking to go in a new direction. Hmm. Happened to be that Nancy, uh, Nancy was down at West Palm or somewhere and came across a, a, a local net, a local news pawn shop story. Came back to her team the day before and mentioned we should look in this space. Come on. And then I walk in with that tape. I mean, it was, you know, uh, that, dumb luck. That was the sequence of events when you walk in with your sizzle? Yep. All right. couple questions. Or it's the most creatively engineered story Nancy's come up with. But I think it's the truth. How uh, how many minutes was the original sizzle, give or take? Five or six, probably. And they bought it in the room? So it, it, was, it was even more serendipitous because the only person I knew in the room really was um, Charles Norlander. Okay. Who happened to be a writer with on the same show I was on years before. Um, great human being uh, and was great exec for us. Uh, he, on the pilot, he ended up moving on to some other history stuff. So it was him and then Ju- this guy, Julian Hobbs, who I didn't really know. Sure, but, I remember Julian. Yeah, and Julian, yeah. Um, who's now on this side and doing well. Um, was Mary Donahue around? So Mary Mary would come in just a couple uh, ticks later. So okay. Julian and Charles were, were there to meet these guys. And I have, I'm not a seasoned pitcher at this point. 
Uh, hard people, people hard to believe. Hard people to would argue that I'm still not. Um, so we're walking down the hall. The conference room's not available. I'm sure it was being filled by uh, Ben Silverman or somebody uh, else. And so they're like, let's go down here. And we pop into this guy's office. And uh, my my partner in crime, Rob Miller, Rob Miller kicks me under the table. And he's like, that's David McKillop. And I'm like, okay, great. I don't know who that is. Um, and David certainly doesn't know who I am. But, but Rob made it clear that that was a big hitter. David wasn't even – it was like your office right here. Like yeah. he's over there, and we said something. He turned around, and he said, oh, I'll join these guys. They're not complete yahoos uh, yet. And uh, he really uh, – he, so he, now he's sitting in the meeting, which mm. is great because now we've got you know, a decision uh, maker. Decision maker. And so they play, we play the tape, and it was just classic. Uh, they, they really liked it. They liked it more than I ever thought they would. Um, and they saw more potential in it than I did. Mm. Uh, and Julian gets up, grabs the DVD because that's what, it, what was. it was on, yeah, and pulls it out and says, "It's amazing." He's like, "This is great." I mean, we'll never be able to use the name, um, which you know, just like was like a dagger. In my that head. was always the name, yeah. Okay, and I'm like, oh, "I can't use the name." Like that's mar- that's the best part of the, to me, the best part of the project. Um, and so uh, McKillop goes, "Give me, give me uh, 24 hours. I'm going to get you a pilot order." And you know this just wow. doesn't happen anymore. But uh, and I kind of didn't think it was going to happen then. Uh, I think we got the call actually. You know, by the time we got back to the office, and we never took it out shopping anywhere else. One network saw it. Yeah, I showed it to one other person later in that day, but uh, uh, they didn't. It wasn't for them. Now the story I've heard. Wait, wait, wait hold on. Wait, back up, back up there. Wait, hold on. I almost glossed over a little piece there. You did share it with somebody, but they didn't get back to you. You slipped it. No, I, we we went. I really thought history was our practice pitch. And then we went over to a network that I thought was more, uh, on, you know, more in line for the project. You slipped it to True. <laughs> Is that how the whole hardcore? You know what? Marissa has job security. No, and that's think... how the whole hardcore pawn thing maybe came no, up. No, no, no. I'll, I'll protect that. So I think Marissa took it up above her, and I think I believe this because I had heard, um, I heard it early on. They were already working on that. Okay. And ours just happened, I think, to launch first, and. I do believe that uh, – uh, boy, it's been a long time since I've thought about Hardcore Pond. Um, yeah, I think they were already – it was one of those parallel path stories. Okay. Like I always tell people like uh, – one of my favorite sayings is if you have an original idea, don't worry about somebody stealing it. You're going to have to shove it down their throat. <laughs> and, and I've found that to be true over and over. All right. So history says give us 24 hours and get you a pilot. Uh, you go make the pilot. The, the story I've heard just, just socially is that the Pond Stars pilot – had been made and was kind of on the shelf for some time. And some events had to happen for you guys actually to get a slot on air. Is that true? Or was it like it – was, was it a no-brainer the second they screened the pilot and they gave you a quick order? Yeah, it was, it was the latter. I okay. Mean, and, and by the way, that never happens, right? So it w- we shot the pilot. And I'm going to forget the exact dates, like uh, top of the year in 09. And um, – I believe Nancy watched the rough cut. And this is like such a tribute to like the process working. I believe Nancy watched the rough cut, gave two or three critical elements to the show that still are part of the show. Um, And they were like at rough cut, like, let's go to series. Wow. And it came out in July. So that thing was fast tracked. It was fast tracked. It was fast tracked. It was the kind of show that we were able to turn uh, quickly. And uh, it preempted a show that was. after Ice Road Truckers, mm-hmm. um, that was that felt more akin. Um, I, I can't remember the name of it. I think it was Expedition or something. And uh, those two shows looked like they went together more naturally. They're outdoors, danger, um, adventure. Right. So we were kind of like, wow, um, 
we're going to put it after Ice Road Truckers. Uh, and it did, um, it did well, uh, mm. but not great. And funny that well back then would be triple great yeah. now. Yeah. Um, and then it just started, much like Duck Dynasty, it just started to creep up every week after that. Uh, and, 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 you know, at its height, triple sort of the initial ratings. Um, but, yeah, they knew, history knew it was going to be a hit before I did. I did not think it was that great of a show. And just to go back wow. to the – so from the principal's office, we learned I, – I think we learned tight storytelling in, in these five, six-minute vignettes. Mm-hmm. What we didn't do on that show was take stuff across the act breaks. Yeah. And we didn't do it because we, we weren't really getting access to the teachers – you know, so we're hearing like if you were to compare it to Pawn Stars, you have the seller and, and the and the pawn guys. Right. Um, so we came up with this idea to put in the experts. So I had to then go convince two people to believe in the experts, the history channel and then the pawn guys. And the mm. pawn guys, their reaction was I'm the expert. Uh, we're the expert. Um, but- and I'm sure that must have been a discussion point for all parties because that would have been a contrivance. That, that's not something that's typically done in the store. So that must have been something that was you know, debated. Yeah, we, when we got to the bottom of it, it, he truly did call people to ask. When He, he just didn't necessarily right. want them knowing, you know, us thinking that there were any chinks in the armor. And I'm like, oh, interesting. And I'm like look, we're looking at you as um, the best mechanic in town. I'm not looking at you as the number one rim guy in town, but mm-hmm. holistically, you're the guy I want to take my car to. And you know all the best people, and you which, know is, all the which best is a people. skill in itself. Right. And, and unbeknownst to us at that point, although we started pretty quickly realizing that would become a fertile casting ground to, to launch a lot of Amazing. I mean, I mean, let's, let's just go there. How many seasons now? Um, I can't even tell you because like they fourteen, but five hundred plus episodes. Five hundred plus episodes. Yeah, it's uh, it's got to be the long, the, the the most amount of episodes for like a, an ensemble cast by you know by a couple hundred, I would imagine. I mean, is that some of the most in basic cable it's, reality history next it, to like the real world? I mean, there I are shows like House think. Hunters, right? Oh, okay, okay, which don't have, but for the same cast, it, it right for a regular cast, and, and it goes back to like Jeez. I take a lot of pride in that, but um. It's it starts and ends with the cast. You um, know? I mean, where do you even begin to rattle off the ripple effect from that show for your business? I well, mean, can we just start with merch? Yeah, you know, I, I did you see checks? No. Did you see back end checks? No, no. It's Are you serious? Of, it's a source. Of, no, I'm kidding. Um, well, first of all, just to answer the very first part of the question, like all of a sudden every idea you have is better than it was the day before. And uh, that is just show business. And but now you're in the incoming phone call business. You're in the incoming phone call business, which uh, is is a new thing, right? To right. actually have to go back to a network and say, I don't know if I want it. Like, I, like we have right. limited bandwidth. Like that idea, you're, I know your boss. Your boss may not like that idea. Anyway, um, we – I do believe that Pawn Stars is sort of the uh, – you could, you, could, you could write a book on – how it affected all the parties involved and how everybody made out um, really, really well. Right. And there are buckets that each of us got that nobody else got, whether mm-hmm. you're the History Channel, whether you're the guys, whether you're left field, um, whether you're the Jingle, uh, uh, the jingle Punks. Right. You know? um, so I had to negotiate the initial talent deal with the Pawn Stars, and uh, this is what they do every day of the week. And um, uh, I, I got them to... An unre- like an unbelievably low amount for everything for them, 
for uh, the shop, for the location agreement. And, you know, when you go into these businesses, you're blowing up these businesses. They have to hire extra people. Like this is what I try to express to the networks. Like nine out of these ten sh- nine out of ten of these shows don't make, and you don't make them good for all the costs they went out of pocket. Mm-hmm. So um, the Pong guys, unbeknownst to me, were in the red. <clears throat> they spent an enormous amount of money mm. to shoot not just the pilot but the first two seasons before they really had their you know their renegotiation. Wow. Um, so. In exchange for a really low talent fee and the location fee, I gave up on any idea of getting any merch. Um, and that would, that would come back to, to bite me. But at the same time, I never, I never uh, felt bad because for me, I'm running a production business. Right. I didn't invest in their overtime and all, the, all, yeah. all their other stuff. And that really has become for them. Did history participate in the merch? You know, I, I don't. I, I do. I can't like honestly answer that question. Okay. There, there were negotiations that happened between History and them after I gave up the deal. Did um, History have the international? Yeah, History owned the show. Okay, History has, of course, the, their large back end. Um, Please but, tell me you saw back end checks from international. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because yeah. they talk about now like in cable where like there is no back end anymore unless you get into season five or six where a network can't say anymore that they're in the red on a show. Yeah. I think, look, back in checks have gone, um, and, and any, at least in my, um, experience, uh, has paid the most on back end. Um, but they now have all their international channels. Right. So those checks get to be very, very small right. just based on the fact that that's their growth. You know, international becomes mm-hmm. their area of growth. So, you know, I've always, I've been, I've, I've always been a guy to look at like, how, how can I build my business inside their business and how mm-hmm. can I be successful without fighting for what what their business model is? Mm. And so with AE in particular, it became about a volume of business, not demanding incredibly high budgets on Pawn Stars or anything like that. And and in return we got high, high volume. So it worked well both ways. So that show premieres what year? Oh nine, July oh nine. That is oh nine. Okay. So given everything you know now, it's two thousand eighteen. All things equal. Okay, same cast at the same point. In their career, does that show sell today off that sizzle tape? Um, I think it's very hard to show, sell shows with regular people doing regular things now. Um, but uh, that tape doesn't look nearly as good as the tapes I think we take out now that don't sell. Right. So, uh, and the stakes of this, the show itself. Yeah, and I think – Compared that, to what it takes today to get something on right. there and get networks excited. And so I think now, like, just to kind of go back, like, to tie this together with how I would approach that show now yeah. as, as part of Wheelhouse, um, I had no insight into their business, into the gold and silver pond business. I had no insight. Like, I thought they were making hand over fist because that's mm-hmm. what they were insinuating. Um, I had no idea when we got into Rick's restoration for American Restoration, his business. I had no idea that it was being illegally run out of a residential area uh, and that I would somehow and, and, and my team would become I never heard of that. Uh, real estate guys. And we had to prepare for Hazmat to come and build out a location mid-season because history you know, wanted the show because it was working right now. Right. So in, in this new world, I want to go in with people from my venture and investment team and say, hey, look – we want to be a part. We want to be partners to you. Like I'm not going to come in and say I want a big piece of your business unless I'm willing to invest in their business. Mm. And you know, having scaled small business into a bigger business, you know, I, I have that knowledge now and, and, and skill set. Um, so I would have tried to go into gold and silver and say, look, we want to take your business from here to here, 
And the one the one place that I say the guys didn't monetize, which um, it was going to be hard for them to do because the show just blew up and it becomes very hard when you're mm-hmm. you know the Robertsons or the Harrisons or the Gaines um, to kind of do everything at once, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So my th- the, the one area that they didn't monetize was the gold and silver pawn name and licensing that across the country and world. Mm-hmm. Sim- somewhat similar to like a Wahlburgers, you right? Know? And franchise it out. And that's where if I came in with, with my group of you know both TV people and finance people and could prepare those guys and make a capital investment um, and bring in the right people, then, then, we're in a, then we're in a position where I think it's fair for me to ask a piece of that. And if the network's willing to do something extraordinary, then they should be uh, asking for a piece of it as well. Mm-hmm. And I think there's an area for all of us. I, I, I want to create a business model that is better for my network partners and then better for my talent partners. Yeah. And it, that also works better for us. Mm. So uh, it's a lot of work to get from here to there, but the current model just isn't working for it, it's not working great for the mm. networks. They're in the 40 to 50% margin game now, but it's certainly not working well for the producers. Well, let's let's talk about Brett Montgomery the businessman. Alone counting cars, left field blows up. 09 Pawn Stars debuts and it is in 2013 that you launch left field entertainment and you acquire sirens. How did the acquiring of companies and launching other production companies, when did that first pop up in your mind? And the question I have, was that all done through your own left field money or did you get outside investors to start the expansion and purchasing of other companies? Yeah. So I didn't really know what consolidation was, what EBITDA was, what EBITDA arbitrage was. I didn't know any of these things. I I knew how to like um, deliver things on time, on budget. Uh, so I'm on the rooftop of the Soho house. Uh, it must've been early or late Oh nine or early 10. And I run into just a guy I ran into as a producer, uh, this guy, Ed Simpson and Ed, um, you know, as we started to, to talk and kind of drift off from the group we were with, he, he was super exciting to me because he was the first person I ever talked to in our industry that talked about it in, in, with, in business terms and, uh, Ed's British, and so he uh, was over in the UK and saw the consolidation, which happened there first. Right, and so he started telling me how it worked and how it worked over there, and and how um, you know we could do it, um, or I could do it, and and I quickly assumed and considered that uh, and said we because I, I, I'm not going to get it all out in one night, so. <laughs> I quickly hired Ed out of the showrunner world and mm. over uh, into into left field as my head of business development. And, you know, we looked at what we had, which was uh, a really stable, nice male programming slate um, and being way over-indexed in the A&E business, which I, I mm-hmm. you know, certainly enjoyed and continue to enjoy being in their business. But we need to, to diversify, you know. And so um, – I just happened to think, okay, first it was like, well, okay, well, where did I get the money? Because I didn't have any money at that point. You know, I had put all my money back into the business. Right. And I tried that when I, in my baseball card business, and I went from, uh, from every, you know, having 100,000 cards and $20,000 worth of, you know, baseball cards, Jeez. which when I was 14, that was a shit ton. Um, and all of a sudden that was all gone. So that was what I remembered. Um, uh, when I when I you know started looking at this business, okay, how do we diversify this business? How do mm-hmm. we get into other stuff? And Ed said, "We'll just go ask for a bunch of money from the banks." And uh, we we sat down with people who um, 
did this more than we do, and they said the same thing. Um, because the UK, they deficit finance, which means essentially right. for those who don't know it, because I didn't know it then, it means you're borrowing a bunch of money and you're paying it all back, you know, right. like a typical loan. But you have to pay it back and you have to sign a personal guarantee. And in my case, your, your wife has to sign off on you signing that personal guarantee. And so <laughs> we went to 14 banks and asked for $40 million. At the same time, and for I, them all to put in a piece of yeah, that forty million. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. forty divided by fourteen yeah, is ba- what you were asking yeah. for. And most of them said, "Well, that's not enough. You're not asking for enough, or you're asking for too much," which was my first sort of indication that the banking wor- world was just as full of BS as, as the TV world, <laughs> entertainment. And so, finally, uh, literally on the fourteenth bank or private equity, for, and we didn't want to do private equity, but we sat with a bunch of them. Um, the fourteenth one was Barclays. And they agreed to do it. And you have to – All the cash, all 40. No, they agreed to lead a, what they call a club deal of, okay. of four different banks. And once you get one bank to do it, you know, it's all cover yeah. your ass at this point. We, we only got Barclays to do it because they're a British bank. Mm. And the American guy who we were meeting with had spent a lot of time in London and had seen this industry, which is a relatively immature industry. Mm. Um, uh, and no banks uh, – bank, every bank we sat down with compared us to film, mm. which – is as risky, or at least you know, historically was as risky as anything out there. Right. So we were having to kind of get that we're not the film guys. Um, we wanted to be, but we're not um, off of us and convince these guys that this is a real business. This this business throws off cash. Um, yes, we've invested all the mm-hmm. cash back into the business. And do you have multi seasons orders of of uh, Pawn Stars at this point? Yeah. yeah so you can have... show them we've got a three four year trajectory where this yeah. show's not going to get canceled tomorrow. That's right. Right. The big par- problem was in the UK they own the inter- they own the uh, they own right. the uh, IP. This was all margin. This was all this was all owning the contracts. Right. And as, as you know, you, those are as good as the production fee, and they can throw you off at any time. Um, it was a pretty big coup. You didn't have a lock at any point. Uh, we probably did. I, I to be honest, we but that's were, typical. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We so I couldn't believe it. These guys all came back and gave us forty million dollars. Um, <laughs> <laughs> idiots idiots uh so um on parallel paths i had identified the company that i thought was the best for us and um it was sirens and i had spent some time with one of the two principals and really enjoyed uh my time with her rebecca uh toth and uh and then and got to meet her partner valerie and they had literally spent I said, whenever you're in New York, I, I had this attitude of like, we're all in this together as, mm-hmm. you know, independent production companies. You know, I always feel like we're the redhead step children of the entertainment industry. So why not um, band together? Why not right. band together? Um, so I said, look, whenever you're in town, let, let me know. I'll, I'll take you to lunch. And uh, sure enough, they did. Um, and they had they were in town to sell mm. their business to somebody. Oh, and, yeah. And uh, that didn't go well. <laughs> um, and uh, from their point of view. And they, so you were, you were the original Mr. Steal Your Girl, or in this case, Steal Your Girls. Yeah. Yeah. So for us, it was the perfect marriage. It was um, Boy Meets Girls. Uh, they had all programming that was complimentary to ours. They were uh, female skewing. Yeah. NBCU, female skewing. Jersey Housewives. Jersey Housewives. Yeah. But, and, but the real reason we bought the business was for Discovery ID because, um. Um, you know, one show can come and go. Um, and thankfully, New Jersey still hasn't gone. But uh, that ID business, you know, being with uh, a team that's as, you know, I, I guess that's the other uh, company that's kept 
mm-hmm. the same people in it for it's the good longest point. period of time, and not just one person, but the entire team. Yeah, good point. And and and, and that is a stable uh, network that's been stable for several years. So for us, the discovery ID piece was the big piece. And they make large orders. They make large orders. They were uh, reenactment shows, which were different than what we were doing, mm-hmm. um, and and so that that made a lot of sense. Fun fact that yeah. I've learned from ID recently because I'm in business with them. More original hours produced than any other channel on cable. Yeah, look. Because they make such big orders and they have so many returning shows. It's, you can't be a better salesman than Henry is. Isn't like, he the best? I, oh, I want Henry's life so bad on the show. <laughs> I'm sure he'll do it. He, he Did likes- you know he used to write for Father, uh, Father Guido Sarducci on SNL? I think he wrote the Old Testament. I mean, <laughs> Henry has the best stories I want him so that go bad. the furthest back. You've got to get him on. You've got to ask him his Trump story. Too. Is it, he has Trump stories? He's got one good one. Will you do that on microphone? I probably not. Uh, no, it's actually clean. Unbelievably. Uh, that's, the, not, for, that's not worth POTUS. hearing. That's not worth hearing then. Uh, Sirens, was that a public sale? Can you actually say how much that was purchased for? It, we smartly did not make it public. Um, okay. I don't think we did. And uh, how much? Did you, how much? How much of a percentage did you buy right away? We bought fifty percent. So you know, which was very different than the than a lot of these other deals. We there was a lot of incentive left for them to stay around. Okay. Um, With an option to purchase more shares. Yes, we bought the right. We over years. Yeah, ITV ended up buying the, the last half, um, December thirty first, I think. And then Loud TV. What was Loud TV? So Loud was. Forgive uh, me, Loud TV and Outpost. I'm yeah, not familiar. No, that's so okay. That's I need okay. to be educated. I'm sorry. Um, after we kind of secured uh, uh, Sirens and what they brought to the table, uh, Loud represented um, a guy in Nick Rigg, uh, who, another Brit, who had come over with you know nothing more than um, his backpack and built a, a company called Leopard up to about $40 million in turnover a year. Oh, yeah. Leopard was in the HGTV business. Yeah, I, I know yep, Leopard. Yep, yeah. Yeah. So well, we, we want you to know Loud more than Leopard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm only kidding. Um, no, the Leopard continues to be a big HG supplier, and they have House Hunters International. Right. And, and Nick did the first few hundred episodes of that. Wow. Nick, uh, uh, I don't know if he created, but he ran the first several seasons of uh, Man Caves, and he oh, was yeah. our lifestyle guy. Got it. And so when he came over, we immediately got into big business with Gina McCarthy and FYI, mm-hmm. and the first wave of tiny house shows. So that was all Nick. Got it. So that was another nice piece. But of was business. he an owner in Leopard? Was Leopard his company? No, he was. He was sent over as like uh, he was the like head he, of. He was like the president. I, I'll get the title wrong, but like the president of the U.S. So you got you got this guy that had been doing all the work over there at Leopard and was like kind of the straw stirring the drink. And you're like, hey, do you want to come have your own company? He hadn't had his own company. That's yet right. And been we, backed. We. I said you're an employee. Like I'll give you a piece. By the way, though, Brent, I never knew the strategy involved in left field entertainment you were specifically seeking out people in genres that you weren't currently playing in and i don't think of all these acquisitions i hear about i never hear about someone actually applying that model to it and being that surgical we weren't planning on selling it so i wanted to create something that was cohesive and went together and also didn't have people competing like you know when we when we um bought sirens one of the first things we did was send um them a cut of a left field show to get their notes on on the, the Bravo show. Interesting. And vice versa, we we got our guys to help them on a Discovery series mm. because they had never worked for uh, Discovery Channel. Um, so yeah, we and, and for a while we looked at ourselves as the competitor, ITV and huh. you know, Fremantle. We, we, it, and it wasn't that my my pitch was different uh, than the rest of the. You know, the, first of all, it was in English um, yeah. and not the Queen's English. Um, 
So you know all these, and other- you're just a humble Texan working man, you know, with with, with, your, with your mail shows and your Texas A&M background. Right. You're just a simple man. Listen, work, I'm a simple caveman. Work, work with the college dropout. It'll it'll end all it'll end all right. No, but there were international companies being run by people who didn't found those companies, right? And hadn't necessarily had the same. I had the exact same experience, you know, as all of the people we were going after. So that was part of the pitch. The hard part was we didn't have the billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not a publicly traded company. We didn't have billions of dollars. We had what these three banks would give us. Um, But also you weren't asking them to come move into a central hub and take on someone else's culture. Like they were able to still keep – I mean maybe Loud TV had to move into your offices because I was a startup. But for Sirens, it was keep doing what you're doing, but let's – I'm going to help you grow your business. Yeah, our attitude was always – you do what you want to do. Right. We want you to focus on the creative and the sales, the fun parts more. We want you to focus on the fun parts more. And if as we come to you with ways to change the other bits, mm. you either like the bits, you know, you like the production management, the business affairs, or you don't. Like, mm. But we had to come into a way, and this happened over and over and over, we're like, we'll save you money. Right. And we'll take it off your um, plate. And right. the answer is usually – Please, because left field would yeah. handle the back office yes. type stuff, and not just not just the you know business legal affairs, but we started getting to a point where the create like we'd start yeah. doing the actual production of the shows if it made sense. And what was Outpost? Outpost was um, uh, another just longtime friend of mine in the business, uh, Jody Flynn, okay, who had been um, you know I, I kind of think of us you know as the bad news bears. We went out and got <laughs> a lot of people that other people didn't know, but who were hmm. doing great work. Jody um, was up in Seattle working for Screaming Flea um, and had developed hoarders, had done a lot of like um, different style, different mm. uh, genres of TV. She wasn't sort of pigeonholed in one way. A little more documentary. Yeah. And so this was one of my favorite stories because it played to sort of what we were creating. We went in and uh, we backed Jody. Um, she'd moved down to LA and we backed her uh, company. And uh, her first big sell was Forged and Fire to the History Channel. Wow. And it wasn't – Paper it, format? It was a paper format that uh, that uh, she and Tim Healy had worked on um, together. And it was interesting because Elaine, who's one of my dearest friends in the business um, and can be one of the most demanding and creative people in the business as well – Looked at um, Tim Healy and said, uh, I love Jody, but I don't know her. I know her from A&E. I don't know her about making a male history show. Um, and Tim looks at her and says, it's going to be Brent and David, you know, uh, David George, my uh, cohort. Uh. And so uh, then all of a sudden they felt good. Um, Jody ended up still being, you know, the creative voice on that with mm. a couple other key people. Um, but all of a sudden now we had, you know, one of the bigger performing uh, new history programs that was mm. well outside of what history was doing at that point too. Mm. So that was always kind of the mindset was like, what can we do to make each other better? Because, you know, TV is a team sport and right. uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, almost every show we've had that was successful um, alone being one of the, the, the biggest examples was, uh, was a group effort. Okay. So this is 2013. Yeah. I hope you have from, a lot of tape here. From what I re- from what I read, it's all digital, baby. We're, we're gonna, <laughs> from what I read, 2014, one year later, you sell to ITV. They buy yeah. 80% of Left Field Entertainment. So you, the, the ink is still wet <laughs> with a lot of these deals and these three companies that you bought into. And you sell to ITV immediately. That has to be one of the fastest flips yeah. in, our, in our business. Yeah, it That's was, one, one year or it, more. It was, uh, it was a 
crazy 18 months or so. I mean, I throw in a, a two kids, um, uh, a move. You, you, you're you're yeah, having was, two kids yeah, and moving into a new house. It was, all the- cra- it was a, a crazy run. Um, so we we had no intention. Uh, necess- we we thought maybe we'll build this and sell it years from now. Right. Um, but it was around the holidays over 2013 into 2014 mm-hmm. where – w- what was really cool and interesting when you manage a portfolio of businesses, you go f- when you manage one company, and you may see this, you know, with 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 where you're at right now. Like, you f- you take you feel like everything is you, whether it's whether you get high and low really quickly, um, and you can get too high too easily because um, you know our business is a very bumpy business, right? You know, you can sell yeah. one show, you can sell six shows this year, and then none of them come back. Right? There's a lot of droughts and a lot of peaks. Yeah. And when you manage, uh, and if you're going well, you can go well for several years. And at left field, that was it was fun. Like we didn't have to go out and take all this risk. But um, when we did, we had a portfolio now, and we saw tendencies. We saw mm. things that we thought was us. Like oh, we failed at this, or that didn't work out the way we thought it was, or you know what we thought we were going to deliver everything at the end of the year, and it all carried into you know, right. next year. Right. And we realized no, there are. There is a storm coming um, across this industry, mm. and when storms come and you're out on the ocean, uh, you need to get on a bigger boat. Um, and we looked around, and I was like, what boat makes the most sense for us? Mm. And I don't think any of us knew sort of how fast you know cable network was going to kind of – I don't think anybody knew how fast repeats would become obsolete. Right. And that, as anybody who runs any of those channels will tell you – you know the repeats are what they the repeats are the network what the agency packages are okay. to the agencies, and so we thought you know what let's let's look at the different options we have and instead of doing what most people do and I think this is why it moves so fast, um, which is take it out to auction and like just go with whoever is going to give you the most amount of money, um, we said we want to be in business with with ITV and that was based off of a couple of very long conversations I had serendipitously who had. made the first call. Uh, guys that you probably wouldn't know by name. They were... Um, but they, they made were, the call to you. Yeah, yeah. They, they sought were, you out. Yeah. They, they, they were London guys. Um, and then and then I got Paul Buccieri. Uh, I missed my I missed my boat on some boondoggle, and he and I ended up being on the beach for several hours. Um, That's how all these stories go. Yeah, we can all, yeah. We can all relate to that. When there were boondoggles. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've missed my boat. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a douchebag thing I just said. It's digital. You can delete some of these things. Uh, no, look, I've been on probably, uh, you know, other than, than my 23-foot boat that I, <laughs> that I hit I hit with rocks. Good I've been you. On, you earned every bit yeah, of yeah. it. You earned every bit of it. Um, and by the way, that's about as small of a boat as you can have. Um, and anybody who's ever been on it is scared to death. Uh, anyway, Paul yeah, and Stephen I. Stephen Lambert is laughing his ass oh, yeah, off right on now. A, he's on a yacht. Boat like, talk. He, he would, like, his waves would knock my boat over. <laughs> But with my luck, into a rock. Um, so, so Paul and I just, you know, yeah. if you know Paul, Paul uh, is not a salesman. Um, Paul is Paul is you know sort of a genuine, uh, straight straight talking guy. And uh, I had a really nice chat with him, and it wasn't overly like you know he's like if and when you want to do this, you know we should talk about it more. Mm. And what I liked about ITV was they were they were a network and they were a production company. And I just thought as we're going into these rough waters, uh, the networks are going to be under tremendous pressure and mm-hmm. we're going to need to know how to react to that. And that is easier to do when I could look at ITV in London and say, guys, like, 
you know, put, put your network hat on for a minute. Like, you know, these shows are going to have to be delivered cheaper or X, Y, and Z. Right. And that's going to have an impact on right. our as opposed to when you're just talking, you're talking just to finance people that don't yeah. really know the business and don't know how shows get made. You're actually talking to a network that lives That's it right. every day. That's right. All right. So there's this great story um, in sports that I love, and it's uh, I believe it was Drew Bledsoe. So Drew Bledsoe gets drafted <laughs> out of Washington State, and he's a you know, quarterback in the NFL. And it's the day before he's going to go in to sign his contract. Uh, and he calls the old 1-800 number you used to call, you know, to get your bank account, you know, whatever. And it's like, your current balance is $120. Okay. So next day he signs, he does a press, you know, press uh, release thing. And, you know, they take questions, signs the contract and he was given like, <laughs> you know, a bonus upon signing. Right. So it's a long whirlwind day. He goes back to his hotel room. You know, he's 21 years old, 22. He calls, he calls the 1-800 number and it's your current balance is $1,120. And I've just always loved the, just the visual of that. When, when you sell this company and I'm not going to talk about the numbers here, but when you sell to ITV and it is a substantial sale compared to all other sales we've seen. What is the, just that moment? What, just, and again, you should be proud of this moment. I hope it doesn't embarrass you to ask you. But when that money lands in the bank account and you're sitting at home with your wife and the two kids are upstairs asleep, what, what was the moment for you and your wife where you're just looking back at everything you had accomplished? Was it just a quiet glass of wine and you two chinking saying congratulations? Was it we're going to go turn up and do a week in Paris? What was that moment when it all went through and you were like, oh, my God, this, they can't take this away from me now? Now, first of all, that Drew Bledsoe story is great. I mean, every Drew Bledsoe story usually ends with Tom Brady. Um, (laughs) So, but very similarly, I had put everything back into the company and I had $30,000 in the bank account, which is a lot more than Drew had, but I was, you know, nearly 40 years old. Um, And so, you know, (laughs) we, we all go, you know, you basically sit in a law firm and you're around a bunch of people. And by the way, a lot of a lot of people around me got rich that day as well. Sure. And they haven't had to deal uh, with all the, the rich guy comments that I have. But that's all right. Uh, <laughs> you know, these are rich people problems. Um, you sit in a room and you wait for the money to come into the wire, you know, to wire into the accounts or whatever. And, uh, you know, there's it's it's not like uh, a publisher's clearinghouse thing or anything but it's like this, this, it's like the scene in Jerry Maguire where they're waiting for Rod Tidwell's facts to come through for the offer <laughs> yeah. and um i think which is typical in being in this business where it's never the hollywood sort of moment um there's never the victory lap no so i the the money comes in and i have to i am due over at A&E for a vision meeting which they just started these vision meetings and I am literally running across town. No, no. And I can't tell anybody in that meeting. Like, I, I, I was a few minutes right. late. Um, and I didn't know what the vision meeting was. And I was kind of just kissed into it at the last minute. But I needed to show, um, especially with what was about to be announced. Um, and uh, a, a woman who works for us, Jordy Hockman, was running a great meeting. But there were 40-plus people in there. And I'm like, holy shit. I, I just thought it was going to be me and, like, four or five people in there. And uh, – and I just kind of sat in that meeting like uh, all my friends were back who were in that signing room with me were at the bar. I mean it had to be like – Friends meaning like actual friends outside the business all, or like just all, all – My team, I, I consider right. some of my best friends in the world. Right. The and, whole left field family. Yes. 
And, and you left. You left the party. I left the party, and I know they're partying. And you know me. I can't miss a party. And uh, <laughs> so my wife had driven into town. Um, we all then went out, and it was not a glass of wine. It was uh, – it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was chaos. It was, you know, one of the greatest days. But then you have to wake up the next morning yeah. uh, at the crack of dawn and go in front of and speak to your entire company. Mm. And um, that, for me, was the greatest uh, day of my career because, uh, you know, I talked to uh, Sean Gallagher. Um, you know, I talked to some people before they had sold their companies. And I asked a ton of people, like, you know, what, you know, wh- what do you think? What's good about it? What's bad about it? And, um you know, I'd kind of been kicking this around, and then Sean said something, and I was like, all right, that's the way to go. Um, I figured out the top 30 or 40 people in the company, mm. and we've and, and this was kind of complicated, but we figured out a formula okay. to pay them all a, a check on that day and then to pay a check if they were still around at the end. Mm. Um, and these were fairly substantial checks. Um, and we brought them in one by one, and... Uh, and my wife was with me, who was with the company forever. And I hadn't slept. I mean, I'd slept for an hour. But I, I think we cried during every one of these handoffs. And it wasn't just me and my wife. It was them, too. Were they, like, individual coming to the office? They came things? in one by one. Wow. Just one, to tell them personally, like, individually yeah. how we felt. But to really, um, you know, just to have a moment. And I, it was like, this is us on steroids. I mean, That's it, so it, cool. it, it, it when and I hadn't slept probably because when you close a deal like any deal but certainly a deal um, uh, like the one we did it takes days it takes days and, and and the last few days just are complicated so I hadn't slept so I was an emotional uh, wreck and at that moment I'll never forget um, and there were just then there was there was like that tier of like you know mid level managers and then there was there were just a few people who had been with the company a long time who I wanted to say some thank you and give them something to one guy comes in. And uh, he hands me the check back. And I'm like, what? And he goes, I can't take this from you. You've been too good to me. And I go, oh, my God. I wish I would written this fucking check for more money. I can't believe it. And I was like, if you don't take this check, I'm going to kick you out of, of the company. Um, but, yeah, that was, to me, the sort of Jerry Maguire moment or whatever. Like, the big moment was, like, right. literally giving those guys their checks. Because they're like, oh, I'm going to do this addition to my house. Or I wanted, you know, to do a right. nursery or whatever. Right. Um and then my core team, you know, they, they had a, a bigger payday. So sure. it was, you know, I always talk about we, we come as a team and we go as a team. So it was, it was, it was life-changing. But at the end of the day, um, I think we've tried to be, behave in a way that's as normal as you could be. And, you know, people always say, well, uh, does money buy happiness? And I'm like, no. Uh, I, I think we were pretty happy before. But it, it buys you the ability to, to go and take chances and do different things. Mm. Um, which, you know, when we're launching something like Wheelhouse, which we've already sunk millions of dollars into to build sort of the ecosphere around it, uh, you know, I couldn't have done that. Did you today. go back to the same partners? Uh, these all no, new partners? this is all Brent Montgomery money, which... Um, all right. Yeah. You know, I, we, we'll go back to partners eventually, but... <laughs> I want to, As you said, the restaurant club well, business. What I'm, what I'm pitching right now is so you know out there that nobody's going to give me money. I've got to refine it and piece it in little pieces, and then go to people. Um, because when you're pitching something that is different that nobody's ever done before, it's very hard because mm-hmm. everybody wants to put everything into a box, right? You know. Real, so, real quick, because yeah, I know please. this is running long, and you're a very busy man. You've been kind just to sit here no. in my office for this long. Uh, everybody in the building right now, I just got an email. Thinks you're the new head of uh, <laughs> all three. Uh, 
I don't want to belabor when you become the head, the CEO of ITV America, but that's what happens in 2015. So 2013, you know, you make all these purchases and absorb all these companies. 2014, you flip it to ITV. And then 2015, they give you the top job at ITV America. And now you're overseeing the whole slate, which includes companies like High Noon and Leslie Greif and so many others. You're in that job. And I swear to God, it's like you... And by the way, Leslie, we do know that you have a lot of employees beyond just you and that company. <laughs> yes, so many great people at Think Factory. <laughs> uh, and he's you know former member of the show. Got oh, I know. I'm so, one of the earliest like, guests. Had, you, you have a couch that can support both of us. I don't know if you know this, but I just had Jonathan Murray on the show. Oh, the I'm best, a, the godfather. I'm a pretty big deal now, Brett. Yeah, just, I, I told you at the top, this is probably <laughs> the biggest accomplishment in my career. <laughs> All right, so it's like you read my diary. When you got to ITV... I would read about all these talent overall deals you would do. And I would be like, holy shit, I think Brett Montgomery and me were separated at birth or something. Because <laughs> you tapped into all my favorite things. John Cena, I'm a huge wrestling fan. Michael Strahan, football. Aisha Curry, I'm like a diehard warrior fan of the Currys. Like my wife knows the entire Curry family and all their names, including Steph's brothers and sisters and mom and the whole thing. <laughs> same, um, same daughter's name as I have. Uh. What? Riley. Riley? Yeah. Uh, do you have a Ryan as well? Uh, no. No. See, I know both the Curry children, just nice. to prove, just nice. to back it up. Kevin Costner deal? I mean, that's just straight for the feel spot right there, Kevin Costner. Timbaland, I'm a huge hip-hop guy. I mean, it seemed like you were having so much fun and the deals you were making, and you were so smart that you can't really sell anything these days, at least not a paper format – without some sort of celebrity attachment as a producer or someone to be the face of it. Like if you were going to try to pitch Pawn Stars today, you might need Kevin Costner to do the voiceover for that yeah, show, yeah, right? That's like true. that's the world we live in. And I love that when you were there, you were going straight and for the And by the, the way, talent. that would be freaking cool. Kind of epic, right? And then Chumley. I mean, <laughs> so I, I was seeing all these deals you were making. It was what, two and a half years or so we were there. Why was it time to move on? That's my first question. And then I have a second follow-up question that I'm done with you. But, yeah. but why was it so quick? Why was it two and a half years? Um, well, just really quickly to give a shout-out to one of my favorite people in the business, Adam Scher came into the company at the exact moment. And people are like, well, what's Adam going to do for you? He ran Ryan Seacrest Company. He's, a, uh, He's one know, of the best. Unbelievable agent, unbelievable human being. Um, I told you that we, we saw each other real screen recently. I told you about Adam Scher. When I was at a crossroads and I was leaving Electus and I was taking meetings around town, I had this offer and I had another company making an offer that wanted me to have uh, be the head of development. And I sat with Adam Scher, who I did not know well, who I just had a couple meetings with over the years because Ryan Seacrest and Ben, my old boss, were friends. And Adam took the time to go have a tequila with me and walk me through the work-life balance of, well, I'll tell you right now, you're going to start a family soon, so this job is going to give you X, but professionally, this job is going to give you Y. And he was able to speak to, as a family man, let me give you a little bit of advice because you're entering into this phase of your life. Adam Scher is one of the greatest people in the world. He is. I, 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 you know, I, he will be a lifelong friend forever. And, uh, and, and it's part of why you know, we, we decided to sign with ITV was to work with the Davids and Adam. Um, yeah. But Adam came in at, at the perfect time for us, and, and it actually was by design. We wanted to have an in-house agent, and I think you know, to some degree all three has had that as well. Um, and did, you know, you have trouble, did you have trouble getting that out right there? <laughs> you know, look, I think um, I've talked about this with a lot of people. Like we, Part of our success was bringing in network execs to, to educate us on what the, the people who we're selling to are about mm. and to bring in somebody like Adam and to like, – put us at the front of the line to get to work with some of those people. Um, 
And some of them we had overall deals with Mike uh, Strahan and Cena, and you know you couldn't have two better human beings in the world. Right. And then other stuff was just more one-offs with Aisha and uh, Costner. But th- that was the perfect timing to do those deals. Um, the other question was why two? Or was well, why, why so fast? You, it's two. It was a two and a half year run. Oh, at ITV. Yeah. Oh. Once you got the top job, like was it just? A job you just didn't want? Did you just want to go back to getting your hands dirty and starting a startup again and the thrill of the startup? Or what was it? Yeah, I think it's a lot of things. I think um, uh, I always intended to hand it off to, to David George. Okay. Um, is, isn't there some affiliation still between ITV yeah, so and we, Wheelhouse? Yeah, we specifically partnered with those guys because I want to go off and do so many different things. Okay. Uh, not just run an unscripted company, and that's the core reason so why. So they will be the production hub They'll on the They'll be shows. the production hub. And what better, in my opinion, there's nobody better in the business than than those guys. And it's they're in every lane. Uh, ITV Creative produces for almost every network and OTT out there. So right. for me, the chance to work with the Davids and Adam and Chris and all my other uh, friends there was was a no brainer, um, and and ITV was very good to me. So it was, it was uh, meaning ITV London. So it was it was a it was an easy decision. Um, as to why so short, uh, it didn't feel that short. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. They, I walked into a job where the industry. It was kind of like when Obama walked into uh, the office in 08. Like it wasn't by any stretch an easy time to walk into a confederate you know group of production companies we had some cohesiveness between the left field companies and i think that ultimately that's why they bought left field and that's why they paid mm-hmm. a premium for left field mm-hmm. was because we had a management team and we you know not too many people have actually integrated creatives a lot of people have the um right the business affairs and legal but when you go to integrate creatives you better be able to, to convince them that this is going to still be a creative yep. process and a better process. Yep. So we integrated. You know, we did the vast majority under my tenure of integrating these businesses and um, uh, bringing a culture. You know, I compare it to like Endeavor and WME. Like so much of the WME culture now is from Endeavor, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so much of the ITV culture is from Left Field. And mm. you know, ITV uh, before that was an outpost from from the UK, and now I feel like it's its own entity with its own personality it's true and um and you know it probably took somebody like me who didn't have a lot to lose to be sort of the maverick to get you know everybody to buy in on both sides and to be the face you know for the for the community to represent the the brand and give it a brand at itv america and then ultimately i think i i i'm not just um you know it's not like i did all the work there they they created the team that's there right now um or did the lion's share work off of our new hits? Um, you know, the, the four and Queer Eye. Um, I had some involvement on uh, on some of them, but they. This is their. This is that team's slate. They've come out strong. Um, and for me, it, it really became about. I don't want to be. You know, I don't want my uh, last chapter, next chapter, to be about just unscripted TV. Right. I think it's. Um, you know, it's so important uh, for me to go out and, and do entrepreneurial things and be able to have meetings that are around real estate or design or, or things that are completely foreign. But then be the guy that can be like, all right, you know what? That will actually make a great TV show. Well, um, I, I heard you're starting a new venture with the Gurneys. Is that true? Uh, yeah. It's going to be called uh, Duck You. I don't know. All right, last question. What, what is the biggest difference working with a broadcaster than working with a cable group of executives? I look. I I brought in David Eilenberg uh, about two years ago now, and best hire ever. Best hire ever. The guy has done um, 
as much broadcast besides, yep. you know, I mean, he, he's next to one Burnett, of the few, one of the know? few that's done both. And, and bringing him in was a game changer. I think, you know, the four is sort of the culmination of everything we built at left field and ITV. We've got Adam who has the backstory with Ryan and idol. We've got Eilenberg who was across shark tank, um, uh, Kids say that, or the fifth grader, the voice. Uh, the voice, thank you. Uh, and he was one of the key guys to make a, a couple tweaks to the format on the voice. And we've got David George, who comes from running TRL for, for uh, a decade. Um, and then uh, me trying to like make sure that we don't, the whole business doesn't go apart while these guys are off making an incredibly difficult show. Mm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think we, we put together all the pieces to make it. I think the biggest difference is, um, just the scope and the size, you know, we, an American grit, you know, it wasn't an enormous hit. We did two seasons, but to pull off that show in the middle of, um, Washington state during the dead of winter, uh, was a logistical feat in itself. Right. Right. Um, but the, but when you go to the set of the voice, it still feels like, sh- or, or the four it's show business, right? You're right. on a studio lot. Um, if you're shooting Hell's Kitchen with us, you're in a, in a Costco because no studios were open and we had to go uh, think like cable producers and uh, shoot in a Costco in uh, Victorville or somewhere out there. Anyway, I'm still bad with geography. Thanks for doing this. Awesome, man. You're the man. Sorry to. Thanks for coming in. No, please. Thank you. I was going for the record at the time. <laughs>